2: Welcome to the program, The Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Anything is fair game. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car today, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. A couple quick things. One, of course, Paula will be here tomorrow on the day day edition of the program. Seems like she was just here. I mean, really, this week has gone by so quickly. But she'll be here tomorrow if you have any questions or need any encouragement. She is the best in the world at doing just that. And uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be finishing Daniel chapter 1. And uh, um, this is a remarkable prophetic book. Um, I'm doing Daniel on Wednesday nights and Revelation on Friday nights. And uh, we ought to be full of prophecy. Prophecy. So that will be tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. Let's go to questions while we await your phone calls. And remember, we always prefer your phone calls simply because you're more interesting than I am. <laughs> this one from our email inbox anonymously. Uh, Pastor Ron, I wanted to check with you on a feeling I had this week. A coworker asked if I wanted to do a Bible study with her. I gladly said yes. She suggested to start with Timothy. I knew she was a Jehovah's Witness. I prayed about her and asked God to direct my thoughts and words such that it does not compromise the word. We decided to do chapters 1 and 2. During the study, she kept talking about her Jehovah's Witness beliefs, and I talked about how we are all sinners and Jesus paid the price for us. She kept talking about Jehovah only, I also learned that she has a separate version of the Bible. I felt too dark and uneasy after. Do not know why. Should I continue to do the study with her? You know, this is something, Anonymous, that you're going to have to really be sensitive to the Spirit, and maybe the Spirit's sort of leading you away from it. But uh, Bible studies are always a good thing to, to engage in, especially with unbelievers. And make no mistake, as a Jehovah's Witness, she is an unbeliever. Uh, she is part of a cult. She's not part of a, a religious group uh, that, that we would understand. Um, she, they, they say some of the same things and same terminology, but they have far different meanings. Uh, let me give you a rule of life for me. When people stop listening, I stop talking. And I think that's probably the best approach here. Um, you're right, they have a a separate version of the Bible. The New Testament is compromised badly because they add words to support what they already believe rather than just use a King James Version of the Bible, which I think is a great version of the Bible. They they add some other words um, just because they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe he is um, the Son of God, uh, but they also believe that he is uh, Michael the Archangel, uh, there's all kinds of problems with Jehovah's Witnesses, and this is just 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 the the tip of the iceberg. So um, if she's not being honest, and I would ask her, I'd I'll keep doing the Bible study, but you need to listen rather than talk. It always bothers me when um, and and not just Jehovah's Witnesses, but but Christians who. Tend to do these things as well because they think it's more spiritual. Instead of talking to Jesus or or referencing Jesus, who made God uh, available to all of us, they'll talk about um, uh, Jehovah. They'll talk about Yahweh. Um, they'll talk about Heavenly Father, uh, but but they just won't talk about Jesus, and 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 that's uh, a problem for me. That they're they're denying themselves the intimacy and the closeness that only Jesus can provide. So um, I think the Holy Spirit will let you know if your feeling is from him or not. Uh, But I think the best way to do it is just to talk to her. Uh, We're talking about the Jesus of the Bible, the real Bible. I want to introduce you to Jesus. That's the reason I want to do this Bible study. And I'm not going to listen to you tell me about Your Jehovah's Witness religion. And then find out what she has to say. Find out if she's really searching. But here's, I think, something that's even more important regardless of what her answer is. Jehovah's Witnesses are generally miserable people. They're trying to work their way into his good graces. And they're miserable. So show her that you have joy. So be loving, be direct, but be loving. Have a smile on your face and let her know that your Jesus is the fulfillment of joy and and, and apart from him, there's just no joy available. But let her be able to demonstrably see that joy at work in your life. If you'll do that, if she's actually seeking, believe me, the Holy Spirit will start knocking on the door of her heart and she will be back. But but no compromise. uh, Refuse. Their version of the Bible. Yes, this is what it says. This is what it means. And keep praying for. Good question. Thank you very much for being so willing, Anonymous. That pleases our Lord. One says, Pastor Ron, what is meant by not casting pearls before swine? Now, one, um, th- that last conversation was a good example of casting pearls before swine. Uh, if somebody's not interested in learning the truth, then you're just wasting your time. Um, move on to more fruitful encounters. So casting pearls before swine, when Jesus said that if people aren't listening, then stop talking. And a Jehovah's Witness is a great example of it. There, there are others. But in other words, save your energy. And save the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Save that for people who are at least interested in hearing. So don't waste time. Don't argue. Don't try to persuade. That's casting your pearls before swine. That's a good question as well. Oscar says, um, Pastor, Ron, do you think God judges nations today? Um, I, no, I don't, Oscar. I, I, I think God is dealing with individuals. We are in um, the, the, the pause between Daniel's ninth and 70th week. We call it the, the age or the dispensation of grace. And God is now turning his attention not to nations, but he's turning his attention to individuals. You see, this, this indeterminable time between Jesus' ascension into heaven and his return to earth in glory is the, the last days, but but for um, because of his great love, uh, his interest is in saving people. There will be a judgment of nations during the great tribulation, or as we get to the end of the great tribulation. When Jesus returns and um, uh, we're setting up, uh, we're we're being used in some way to set up Jesus' kingdom here on earth, there's going to be a judgment of nations. And that judgment, by and large, is going to be, how did you treat my people Israel? What did you do with the knowledge that I gave you? And in this particular case, there's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats, sheep and the goats. Uh, But again, that's a long time away. Today, he is not judging nations. Now, having said that, I think God is still reaching out to people in these nations, repeatedly trying to get our attention. Focused on things of the end. You know, it's interesting in my study in Daniel that we're just starting. I'm finishing chapter one tonight. Well, next week in chapter two, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar unable to sleep because of a series of dreams. He's thinking about the end times. He's thinking about the future. What happens after me? And that's always a good thing. And and God sends him this dream. Um I think that's more along the lines of what God is doing these days, in the sense that he's trying to look at the- get us to look at the situation in the world that we live in. He's trying to get us to focus on those things that are going to cause us to look to Him. I think Oscar, the same thing is true with earthquakes and and violent weather and um all kinds of other things. That, uh, that you know we we well earthquakes sign of the end. Uh, I think God is using those things today to get our attention, um, to focus on Him, to focus on personal holiness, to make sure that our need for a Savior is realized. So uh, I again I think that's what He's doing. We're in again that pause between the sixty and the seventieth week of Daniel, when the 70th week of Daniel starts, it is going to be entirely too late. I like that question. Thank you. Henry says, uh, Are Jews guilty of sin because they don't believe in Jesus? Or will they get to heaven because they were chosen by God? Henry, Jesus repeatedly said, remember he was speaking to Jews. Jesus' ministry in its context was entirely Jewish. And he said, Many will say to me, On that day, Lord, Lord, and he will say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Um, The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 9, he says uh, he would give his place in heaven if only the Jews, his brothers, would believe the gospel account. He's willing to swap places with them. And he said that writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is impossible as that is for us to understand. So all that to say apart from Jesus Christ, everybody is going to spend eternity being tormented in hell. So yes, Jews are guilty of sin. They have no sacrifice for sins. The, the one sacrifice, once and for all sacrifice, I like to call it, has been delivered. And uh, Jesus was that perfect lamb, that perfect sacrifice. So Jews, if they don't believe in him, are still guilty or covered in their sin. The fact that they were chosen by God, remember, that's national. Excuse me, that was a sneeze break. <laughs> there, uh, that was a national election, not an individual election. So nobody gets to heaven because they were Jewish. Israel is God's chosen people. They're his, the, the nation that he selected out of the whole world. But over and over and over, Jesus accused them of sin and told them of their need to believe in him. The work my father requires is to believe in the one he sent, speaking, of course, of himself. So, Henry, um, just like you, if you didn't believe in Jesus, your guilt would be evident to all because you're a sinner, just like I'm a sinner. Uh, But Jesus washes away our sins. Isaiah said come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be white as snow. But remember, Jesus is the only way those sins can be as white as snow, as far from us as east is from west. So don't confuse Israel's national election and the election of individual Jews. Individual Jews are only part of God's elect if they eventually believe in Jesus Christ. So Henry hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Raul. He said, can you tell me what it means in First Corinthians where it says that sexual sin is a sin committed against our own bodies? Yeah, Raul, um, Paul's context there. Uh, he's talking about sexual immorality and he's talking about the the dangers of of uh, being involved uh, in, in immoral sexuality. And by the way, immoral sexuality is any sex between people that aren't married, a husband and a wife that aren't married. Um, sexual immorality covers all sex uh, outside of that. And Paul says, the temple, we're, our bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit. We're defiling that Holy Spirit when we sin sexually, because we're sinning against our own bodies. Now, I think, Raul, the the implication is really, really clear. Uh, When we commit sexual sin, it's not the same as all other sin. It's it's deeper, it's more dangerous. Uh, It allows, when we sin sexually, it allows Satan uh, to have a, a deeper opening to destroy us. Remember, that's his goal, he wants to destroy us. And when we sin sexually against our own body, um, we're not only quenching the Holy Spirit, but we're rendering him impotent in our battle against sin because we've given in. So that's what he means. When you sin sexually, because it's a sin committed against your own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're giving Satan a stronghold in our lives, a stronghold that he wants to use to destroy. So well, that's what it means there, and he goes on to say that people who live like this and sexual immorality is only one of the examples that he uses. Um, um, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's what he means by when we sin sexually, we're sinning, uh, we're committing a sin against our own bodies. It's a really dangerous, dangerous place for Christians. To be. By the way, you know, we get a lot of pressure from unbelievers and people who are championing um, uh, sinful lifestyles. Um, uh, all sin is the same. Well, Paul clearly says in that passage that all sin is not the same. Sexual sin, especially uh, homosexual sin, is a sin that Romans 1 tells us uh, is a sin that God will leave us alone with ourselves. Think about that for a moment. When we sin sexually, sinning against the the temple of the Holy Spirit, sinning against our own bodies, we're complicit in destroying ourselves. And we need to be aware that that's a dangerous place for all of us to live. 340-9585 340 9585 for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877 630 KSLR. Reggie says, What was the reason Cain's sacrifice was rejected by God? Um, Reggie, a couple of things. We don't get all of the background uh, in Cain and Abel's life or their childhood growing up, but clearly God had represented to. Uh, the, the sons, uh, through their father, Adam, um, what the acceptable sacrifice for sin was going to be. Remember, when uh, Adam sinned, and we find him um, hiding in the garden from God because he was naked and he was ashamed. And the reason he was naked is because the glory of God that would have surrounded him revealed his nakedness. And um, when, when Adam sinned and God started, Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? Um, God found him trying to cover his own sin, his private parts, with fig leaves. God said, no, the next time we see them, they're covered in the skin of an animal. So an animal, Reggie, had to die. I often think about how horrific that moment was Adam had seen only the perfection of Eden death hadn't entered the world until they ate the forbidden fruit and suddenly the animals that God gave him dominion over I mean they were pets they they, they were there for Adam's good God told him he had to kill one of them and so he was covered in the skin of an animal that had to die can you imagine what it was like when he took the knife and slit the throat of the animal the screeching that would have been a moment that I'm confident never left Adam Adam at all well because without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness no remission of sins it was clear that this was the, the offering that would be made for sins of Adam and Eve and their, their children. It's also clear that both Cain and Abel had been offering those sacrifices for quite some time. However old they were, they could have been 100 years old or more when when Cain killed Abel. They knew the right thing to do and they refused to do it. And Adam, rather than being an example for his children, I don't know if he didn't notice that Cain was going astray, I don't know. But when Cain one day decided that he was going to offer God a sacrifice of the work of his hands, and he brought him, I'm sure it was a beautiful sacrifice, I'm I'm sure Cain was very proud of it, but he knew what to do. And he simply didn't obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And so Cain offered a sacrifice that he wanted to give. And Reggie, we can't come to God on our terms. We've got to come to God on his terms. You know, the the, the person in our country that says, you know, are you going to heaven? Well, I do more good than bad, or I'm a good person. They're, They're offering the sacrifice of Cain. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to do good. God, you need to accept me the way I am. Well, we never get that opportunity, not from the moment sin entered this world until that moment Jesus comes back. We can never do things on our terms. And Cain's sacrifice wasn't what God required. Now, that's important because there's a lot of people who say, well, I can't understand why believing in Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's the only acceptable sacrifice to God. And anybody who tries to come to God on any other terms or through any other little g-god, well, they're going to find that that's a sacrifice, an offering that's not pleasing to the Lord. There's something else that we read in Hebrews uh, in the Hall of Fame of Faith. uh, Abel's sacrifice was better. It was accepted because it was offered in faith. Faith is obedient And so when you're giving God a sacrifice that isn't obedient, then it's a sacrifice that lacks faith. So the only way we can approach God is by grace, through faith, and it has to be on his terms, his way. And there can't be any other possible reason. So that's why his sacrifice was rejected by God. And I think we learned a lot about Cain's heart when even after being warned by God, he was uh, committed to, to murdering his brother Abel. That's the way it was. Here's probably the last question for this half of the program. Uh, David says, Pastor Aaron, how could Lot be declared righteous by Peter when he lived such an ungodly life? You know, uh, one of the reasons I love our Bible, the, the the New Testament gives us some interpretation on Old Testament stories that we wouldn't know otherwise. And certainly by looking at Lot's life, um uh, in the Old Testament alone, we'd have no idea that he was a righteous man. We'd have no idea that he was vexed, King James' word. He was vexed in his spirit by all the ungodliness that he saw around him in uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he agonized over it. He, he, he would watch his children and even his wife get to that place where um, they just didn't really care at all about God anymore. They were completely taken in, seduced by the world that they lived in. And yet Peter declares him a righteous man who is vexed in his spirit. And God's grace is so infinite, David, so infinite that that um, God's eager to forgive. Even when we fail, he is faithful when we are faithless. And I think that's what we need to remember. So that's a good thing for us that Lot was declared righteous. Uh, he was righteous because his heart was for God even though his body lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, instead of being an influence for God and for good, um, he compromised his witness to such a degree that he couldn't even save his own family. What a tragedy that is. And of course we know what happened after his wife and sons-in-law were killed. So David, that's how Lot could be declared righteous. That's the grace of God. The grace of God in the Old Testament, the grace of God in the New Testament is exactly the same grace coming from the same heart. Lot's of good and an instructive study as well. Um, We need to learn the lessons from the people who have failed. They're just as important as the lessons we learn from the people who have walked with Jesus. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the show. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love to have your calls. This is the word to stand on for life. I'll be back in two minutes.
0: To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 87-630-KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back. That was another fast two minutes. 340-9585. Here's a question from Zach. He says, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is taken away from people. Can the Holy Spirit be taken away from us? Uh, The answer, Zach, is no, the Holy Spirit cannot be taken away from us. Um, uh, The people in the Old Testament had a completely different relationship uh, to the Holy Spirit than we do. Now, remember, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came upon people. David in Psalm um, 51 says, cast not thy Holy Spirit from me. Uh, i had somebody one time complained about us singing a song. Uh, he said, that song's not biblical. The Holy Spirit can't be taken away. And I showed him more in the Bible that said exactly those words. And, and it was a song written from, from, uh, from David's songs so um the Holy Spirit came upon people, he came upon people like Samson, Samson blew it time and time again, but whenever God needed somebody to do something, for instance, the Holy Spirit would come upon King Saul, and he prophesied the Holy Spirit would come upon King Saul to 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 make certain decisions about uh war or battles with enemies uh but throughout the Old testament the the man or or the the prophets who were um Alive at the time, the Spirit would come upon them, and they would do what God had gifted them to do. But the Holy Spirit didn't stay with them or come in them. There was no intimacy. It was just the Spirit came on for for these feats of power. Now, for you and for me, Zach, in the New Testament, um, Jesus, when he was the resurrected Jesus, I was getting ready to say goodbye to his disciples who would become apostles, And he breathed on them, the Bible says. Receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. And that's when the Spirit was given. The Spirit came in them. And it was a completely different relationship than anything they would have understood as devout Jews. Um, The deposit, the Spirit given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance heaven, and God who doesn't give and take away, that, that Spirit stays with us. Now here's the problem. Zach, we can quench the Spirit and render Him literally powerless in our lives. Now, He's still going to be convicting us, but there's no power. You know, there's people that, that have been baptized in the Spirit and they've had experiences serving God, they've, 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 they've seen firsthand the power of God in their lives, but then they decide they're going to do things that don't please God. And they still think, well, because the Spirit came upon me once, I'm okay. That's not the case. If you're saved, you're always saved. The Spirit, again, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But if we walk in disobedience, if we uh, refuse to pursue personal holiness, if we are um, willful in rejecting God's call for our lives, then there is no power at all, though the person, the Holy Spirit, still lives in us. And I think that's something that we just don't think about much. Yeah, I, I'm filled with the Spirit, but if I'm not walking with Jesus, what value is that? I've been talking about this a lot, Zach, in church for the last five weeks on Sundays we're in First Corinthians, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the things they told the church here was, be careful of people, especially if that person is you, be careful of people when all they can do is talk about what God used to do in their lives. If all of their stories, their 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 examples are, are things that God did and it's five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how God used you once, how's he using you today? And the only way that we can be certain that that power is available to us is by walking with Jesus, being in the will of God and being obedient to his calling in our life and then that power is always available Zach, let me say one other thing about this before moving on um, one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart and Paula's uh, when we were on vacation is, is don't neglect the power of God that's available in our lives and what we prayerfully concluded was God wants to do more spectacular things. God wants to do um, signs and wonders, not not the way the false teachers represent them. But God wants us to be open and available when that spirit moves. I want to be able to pray for somebody and heal them. Not because I get the glory the gift of healing goes to the person who's sick. But I want to be discerning if God says, pray for this person. I want to be able to do it. And if I'm not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, if I don't expect by faith that God is going to to show up when he leads in that direction, then um, we're really not available to the Lord to do anything more than go through our everyday Christian routine. Make no mistake, Zach, the Christian life is a lot of routine. But we need to give God the right to interrupt our routine. And the only way we can do that is to have faith that He, you know, God, you want to use me, I'm available to you today. Give me discernment. Point out divine appointments. If somebody's really hurting and they're in my path, don't let me walk past them. Past them. And if you'll do that, Zach, then the power is always available and Uh, the word for me and Paula, the word for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is expect that kind of power. Expect that kind of power on an everyday basis. But know the Holy Spirit cannot be taken away because God gives and he gives once and for all. Here is an anonymous question. Be honest, anonymous. This one actually made me angry a little bit when I... Not to sin in my anger, but made me angry. Uh, he wrote, Is verbal abuse a legitimate reason for leaving a marriage? My wife left me because she says I verbally abused her. Now, the reason it made me angry is that your focus is more on her sin or what you perceive as her sin than yours. And no doubt you've heard me say on this program, if you've been listening time that verbal abuse is not a legitimate reason to, to divorce uh, a spouse. It's not. Uh, Physical abuse, always, 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 verbal abuse toughen up. Get close to Jesus. But here's why this made me angry. God hated your abuse of her just as much or more as he hates her leaving a marriage because of it. So you should focus on your sin rather than hers. You should be more worried about your position in Christ than hers. And the question phrased this way Anonymous demonstrates that you have no repentance. You might feel remorseful. Judas was remorseful. Things didn't turn out. Peter was repentant and restored. And you may be remorseful that, that things didn't turn out the, the way you wanted them to. But how in the world can you focus on that? What you ought to be doing is pleading with your wife to forgive you not to come back to you, that's between her and the Lord, but to forgive you. You ought to be apologizing for your misrepresenting the Lord. And then the second thing you ought to be doing is demonstrating to her through your life that you're genuinely repentant for your horrible, horrible behavior. It's an amazing thing I get wives who are treated horribly by their husbands Finally, the wife has enough and she leaves and suddenly the husband is pulling out the Bible? Now, this is a time when you ought to be on your face before God asking for forgiveness for your intentional and willful misrepresenting Him in your home. So you focus on you, Anonymous, and not on her. Boy, that demonstrates I think sometimes just how selfish and self-centered we really are as Christians. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Our phones are quiet today. Here's a question from Monroe. Um, Jesus told his disciples they would see the kingdom of God coming in its glory, but they didn't. Does that make it a false prophecy? Um, no, Monroe, it doesn't. Now, you, you'll recognize that in the Gospels where that story is told. Uh, And and remember, chapter and verse divisions are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Men did that to make things easier to find. Um, But in every instance, uh, that statement, some of you here will see the kingdom of God coming in its glory before these things happen. Uh, And in every instance, it's followed by the transfiguration event on that mountain, so profound that both John and Peter many years later in life wrote about it when in fact we were with him on that mountain. Every time I, 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 I read that my, I get goosebumps. It's just Peter and John thinking about what it was like on that mountain. So they saw, James, Peter, and John saw the kingdom of God coming in its glory. They saw it face to face but that was the reference not the end times not the kingdom of God being established but on that mountain on that day they saw Jesus in all of his glory wonderful wonderful, wonderful story thank you Monroe, I hope that helps let's go to our first phone call of the day, Sam from Canyon Lake on line one, Sam thanks for calling you're on the air
1: Thank you for accepting my call and bless you and your program. Oh my God, I just love hearing you. Thank you. you. You're welcome, sir. My question was, um, as I was a young child, we used to celebrate Christmas with Santa Claus and Christmas trees and all that other good stuff. However, now that I'm more into Jesus, uh, I still like that. Of celebrating Christmas that way, am I wrong in wanting to have to, you know decorate my house the way they used to and
2: with lights and all that? And still honor Jesus? Yeah, Sam. No, you're not wrong. I, I, you know it, this is this is one of those Romans fourteen twenty three matters of conscience. Um, uh, anything you can do in faith. Anything you can't do in faith is sin, if you do it. So if if this is the Holy Spirit who is sort of knocking at the door of your heart and saying, um, um, you know, let's not go there, um, then no, there's nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas. Um, uh, we got people in our church who love Christmas. Now, I'm not a big holiday-type person, but but... Uh, As long as Jesus is being honored and as long as the people in your life, your family, children if you have them, um, uh, relatives, they need to know that your celebration is because it was Christmas that a child was born that would die for the sins of the world. So I I, I can't tell you it's wrong. Uh, I think when Christians... Focus a lot on Santa Claus, and I've I've seen Christians who put Santa Claus on their lawn and reindeer on their roofs, and and uh, you know the the blow up type, um, uh, and 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 that troubles me a little bit. But you know what? It's not my job to tell them what's right and what's wrong. That's between them and the Lord. And I, I just think we've got to be sensitive to the spirit. And because you said we honor Jesus, uh, there's nothing wrong with with. Loving Christmas, having fun, decorating your house. Now, I, I will say this, Sam, and you didn't ask this. I will say this: uh, I don't believe that Christian parents should lie to their children about Santa Claus. I just don't. I think from the from the from the cradle, these kids ought to be told about Jesus. They ought to be told about what the real Christmas story is. And I think if we start. Um, singing songs about santa claus and the reindeer and the elves and um uh, then if if we leave cookies and milk out and tell them that santa's going to come by and visit I, i i think that's really getting into a dodgy place however honor jesus if your kids know what it's about it's okay to have fun and celebrate christmas So I hope that answers your question, but really I've sort of left it up to you. It's a matter of prayer. And your decision, Sam, is to uh, prayerfully determine whether or not this is the Holy Spirit who's correcting you or whether this is just uh, maybe somebody said something and and you're just having good-hearted, Jesus-focused fun on Christmas. If you love Christmas, go for it. Just make sure Jesus... Is front and center at everything Christmas. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate your kind words. Nathan asks, "Can the gifts of the Spirit flow through a carnal Christian?" Uh, Nathan, no, they can't flow through um, the gifts of the Spirit. God's gifts and calling is irrevocable. So when God gives you a gift, um, you know you can you can that gift is yours. Uh, But it can only be used in a counterfeit manner uh, if you're living a carnal life. Remember, the gifts of the Spirit require the power of the Spirit. And in response to an earlier question today, I said that if you're living a carnal life, there's no power. So the only thing that we can do is fake it, counterfeit them. I think when we do that, we're especially uh, vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. But um, no, the gifts of the spirit cannot flow through a carnal Christian. Um, one of the reasons that the letter to First Corinthians or the, the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, is so viable is because we've got a demonstration of the, the damage that carnal Christians cause. No love in Corinth. There was no love in Corinth. And, and obviously, the gifts of the Spirit were being faked, being counterfeited, but there was no real power. Lots of arguing, lots of division, um, sins in being being tolerated, all kinds of horrible things. They were suing one another in courts of law. All those things were occurring, but that's the carnality in the church. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be used by the Holy Spirit, and I... Mentioned this in our study uh, just this past Sunday that his first name is Holy. Now, that's not real. It's not the first name is Holy, his last name is Spirit. But, but, but Holy Spirit, we could call him the Spirit of God, but that he's the Holy Spirit is the key. We've got to be walking in personal holiness. We've got to be walking for the glory of God and in the will of God, and then those gifts of the Spirit can flow through us. But not through a carnal Christian. That's when we, I'll use Paul's word, that's when we are quenching the Spirit and the work that he wants to do through the gifts that he's given us. Thank you for that. Roberta says, Pastor Ron, why doesn't God appear physically or speak audibly to the world now as messed up as it is? Everyone would believe if he did. You know, Roberta, that isn't true. Um, It's just not true that people would believe. That's the power of sin. That's the seduction of our soul that sin creates. Uh, We just find a way to rationalize, continue to live the way we want to do. So, uh, it, it's, God could go on CNN tonight and, and speak directly to the whole world and he would be rejected by the world. And we know that because in the times past when God spoke, he was still rejected. When Jesus did miracles, they knew who he was. When they hung on every word that he said, they rejected him. Give us Barabbas. They said crucify him. So it's just not true that everyone would believe. Now, here's the the, the most important part to this question. God has already historically, past tense, appeared physically in this world. There is no doubt historically, the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus was a real person, that he really lived that he was murdered, and that he didn't stay dead. We know those things to be true. The evidence is overwhelming. So why do we need God to appear physically now if in fact he's already done it? What would be the point of him appearing physically now? All we have to do is have a little bit of mustard seed faith and God will light a fire in our hearts but we Honestly, Roberta, we just don't want to stop sinning. And because we don't want to stop sinning, we'll confuse ourselves. We will lie to ourselves. We will rationalize doing even the worst possible things. And all the while, try to demonstrate that we are Christians. So thank you, Roberta. Let's go to Jeff on line one from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hey, Pastor Ron. Because of the announcer... I had corn dogs for lunch today because they were special at the gas station, and I wasn't going <laughs> to have corn dogs, but I saw corn, and I and I just thought, man, that's so corny, and I just I got corn dogs just because of him. Anyway, uh,
2: uh, Jeff, that 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 corny joke thing is is wearing thin, so don't bring it yeah, up just, again. <laughs> I, won't.
1: I shall not. I won't even say anything tomorrow to Mama Paul about it. But I do have two comment or questions. Would you please straighten me out, Pastor, on Matthew sixteen nineteen? The what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Because I have friends that still pray the binding and loosening prayer uh, in the spirit of in spiritual warfare, and I I just. don't I know you've talked about that before, but I haven't heard your whole explanation, and I don't think that's the context or the proper theology for that. And the other comment I'd like you to uh, uh, maybe uh, say something about is Mike McIntosh from Calvary Chapel. I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. assuming that you've worked with him or you know him, and he seems to have been very prolific in, in in moving the church, and I wonder if you talk about him a little bit. And that's all. Love you guys, and... Talk to you
2: tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah, let me talk about Mike first. Uh, Mike is a friend. Um, um, in my my experience, Mike McIntosh is the closest thing to a zealot in the mode of John the Baptist that I've ever met. Uh, Mike is um, 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 a faith giant. Uh, he's He's in, been in situations that would terrify all of us. And he speaks with the boldness of God. Again, he's the closest thing to John the Baptist that I've ever met personally in the sense that he is absolutely fearless. And God has used him to do marvelous things. Uh, He is also a a nice, nice, nice man. And uh, I I count him a friend. So um, he plays an important part in in, in the history of Calvary Chapel uh I've only got three minutes Jeff, so let me get to the Matthew sixteen question um Jesus is telling Peter now we've got to keep the context this binding and loosing nonsense that we hear um dealing with spiritual warfare is is the most out of context misused and abused uh in all of scripture because because he's talking about Peter. He's saying to Peter, you're you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. Now remember, Peter isn't the rock himself. His statement of faith is the rock, that that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And um, Peter says, okay, on this rock, the statement of faith, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says, then I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, with the keys to the kingdom, remember, those keys open the door to heaven. And if you bind sin on earth, then that sin is bound in heaven, and you can declare that message. And then I think to Peter, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Remember when Peter said to um, Simon the sorcerer, uh, may your money perish with you. Literally, Jeff, what he was saying is may your money go to hell with you. Um, and Peter simply pronouncing that's eternal judgment. Now it's not because Peter had the authority in and of himself to condemn somebody to, to hell or to, to allow somebody to enter heaven. But, but the statement of faith that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, um, that's the key. So Peter, take this key and go unlocking the doors of these hearts over and over and over. So that's what it means there. This is used also in, in discipline of the church um, in another place. And, and what it's saying there is, if you allow sin in church, I'm not going to stop it. Uh, I'll allow it. But if you bind it, I'm with you. And of course, we have good examples of that. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, and later in Second Corinthians chapter 2 when we see the resolution of that situation where they bound the sin God honored it so uh, those are the two contexts only this binding and loosing Satan he just laughs at us and mocks us thank you Jeff for the questions hey tomorrow Paula will be live in studio it will be the date day edition of the Word to Stand up for Life thanks for tuning in I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock Lord willing, see you then